I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to SyrupCast. This is going to be a weekly podcast that puts a spotlight on the particular idiosyncrasies of the Canadian wireless industry. Each week we'll focus on the stories that matter to Canadians, including hardware reviews, important apps, telecom changes, and a host of other topics. We hope you'll join us as we dive through this always interesting and ever-expanding world. As always, well, as never before, but hopefully always, my partner in crime, Douglas Soltis. Welcome. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm, I'm well. I'm ready to pod. Are you? Okay, good. You've done this before, I hope. I have done this before. This is my, my first uh, podcast. You're not a podcast virgin. Okay, I am. This is the first time I've ever hosted one, so I don't know if anything is going to go wrong. But if you if you see anything, just point it out. You and you being the listener too. Uh, we we encourage feedback. Uh, just don't comment on uh, on my voice because I'm very sensitive about that. Or our faces. Or no, I'm fine. You can you can call me ugly. <laughs> I've been called ugly on the internet for four years now. I'm good. Uh, but I think what we're going to do, we're going to start with some news. So um, over the last week or so, we've had uh, quite a few, um, I'd say, controversial things happen, uh, in particular from Rogers. Now, as we know, the Canadian industry is a bevy of competition uh, <laughs> or pseudo-competition. And one of the major topics that came out of uh, last week was a, a leak from uh, a Rogers document that states on June 17th, so that would be Tuesday, they're going to start enforcing hardware upgrades. Um, people who are upgrading their hardware to a new phone on a new two-year contract to give up their old three-year plan and upgrade to one of their new share everything plans. Now, these plans, as we've learned since they've been implemented uh, since last summer, are to put no finer point on it, expensive. They are probably they're expensive. Uh, at least 50% higher than what you'd pay on a three-year plan. Now, obviously, Rogers justifies this by saying that they need to recoup some of the uh, revenue lost from going from three-year contracts to two years. A lot of people were pr pretty angry at the fact that when the two-year contracts uh, came into effect, they weren't really you know, they weren't small. They, the increases were not small. Let's put it like that. They were they were in the in the area of like fifty percent. So even though you're only going down one year, you're probably paying twice as much um, for two years as you were for three years, which was absurd. Uh, now this isn't just Rogers. This is Telus and Bell too. But uh, Rogers got into hot water this week because they are going to start forcing their customers who were taking advantage of their older plans. To upgrade to these share everything plans. Now, what do you think of these share everything plans? Uh, the, we're going to get into it right away. I think it's 
So I'll, I'll put it this way, you know, the, the information you're reporting was also confirmed to us by uh, some people we know internally at Rogers. And uh, when discussing, I'm a, I'm a Rogers customer, discussing my personal options, as a, I've been a Rogers customer since 2011, uh, this 10-year this Rogers employee essentially told me that I'd be better off switching to wind, <laughs> which I, I, I think in a, in a nutshell kind of exemplifies exactly what we're dealing with here. Uh, the idea that Rogers as a company decided that if they were forced to go to two-year contracts to try to to take as much money as possible from that contract term on the assumption that they would not provide a good enough service for their customers to return and re-sign a contract kind of exemplifies their attitude towards uh, how they want to treat their customers and what they expect from them. So, right. I'm, I, you know, uh, I'm now at that point where... Uh, what what value does a does a person uh, on one contract with Rogers who doesn't have a family bundle or who doesn't bundle uh, TV, for example, what's the benefit of being on one of the major carriers? Well, here's the thing. Okay, so I've been sort of playing devil's advocate for both sides here, and I I understand where people are coming from. It is expensive. You spend one hundred and twenty five dollars a month for what you'd get um, for eighty bucks a month on a three-year contract, but you are getting things like unlimited voice uh, calling across Canada, which used to be pretty expensive. It used to be like 20 bucks a month. You also get unlimited texting, um, not expensive, but still like a 5 to $8 a month bundle. You get voicemail, which used to be another 5 to $8 a month. So I see why they increase the prices, but what's interesting to me is that the simplification of their plans meant that you see in a very transparent way just how much they're gouging on data services. So you charge, there's 60, you, you get uh, a new phone on contract now to give you a bit of background on these share everything plans. You get a contract for two years, you pay a, an upfront subsidized cost on your phone. So say you buy an iPhone 5S, you get, you spend $200 for a two-year contract. And with that, they give you the option of buying into one of their share everything plans. So when you choose uh, a plan, you don't anymore decide on how many voice minutes or how many texts per month you get. Mm -hmm. That's all unlimited now. You get a choice on data. So what that means is that you spend, if you want to spend $20 a month in addition to the $60 up front for your voice and text, you spend $20 on, on 500 megs of data, you get that included for $80. Now you share that data between different uh, people. So if you want to add another uh, a, another line, you spend an extra sixty dollars. If you want, you say your wife or your kid to get a uh, a new phone, you spend another sixty dollars and you share that five hundred megs of data. Then, if you want more data, you spend thirty dollars for two gigs. You spend sixty five dollars for six gigs. You spend a hundred bucks for ten gigs or whatever whatever the case may be. So. These are very simple. I mean, they're simple in a way that Canadian teleco telcos have never been simple before. But what it does is it exposes just how much we pay for data. Yeah. On the other hand, people are saying that um, we actually have the best wireless networks in the world. So this is an argument that is often given by the carriers, by you know lobbyists in the telco industry, uh, by you know Rogers and Telus and Bell employees, PR people. We've all heard this before. We have the best networks. It's a huge country. It's hard to deploy these networks. That being said, I was just in Scotland for two weeks, and I bought. Mm -hmm. I spent 15 pounds on unlimited voice, text, and data 
for their 4G network. Now this isn't LTE, but this is DCHSPA+, which means that I was getting 13 megabits down, 5 megabits up. I spent 15 pounds, that's $30 for unlimited everything for up to 30 days. You just don't get that in Canada. So the argument that we spend and um, our charges are not that much higher than the rest of the world, I don't buy it. So now, with people on those old three-year contracts, we're no longer going to be able to keep them. That's that's going to rub people the wrong way. Yeah, so the, the, I guess that was the second piece of information I received, is not only um, was this this something that, that I had to have a, a certain pay limit to reach to get a subsidy on uh, a new phone as my, my contract comes up, Right. Um, but also that the the, the the plan that I had signed to on my contract is now being considered uh, a time-based promotion <laughs> that doesn't last uh, the the term of my contract. So right. what what the, what the agreement that we signed to uh, is is something that they're now asking me uh, for five more dollars a month for. Right. Uh, so the termination of my contract. So this was something also that came out this week, that Rogers is going to start charging uh, more for grandfathered plans, for their data plans. Because if you recall, a few years ago when the iPhone 4, 4S, 5 came out, they would offer these 6 gig plans for $30 a month. Now, that was an add-on. So in, unlike yep. today where you sort of bundle in your data with your voice and you can't, you can't break them apart, um, you could back then, so you just added thirty dollars to your voice plan, yeah. and then that's exactly the plan that uh, that I have. And and I understand the argument that you're making for simplicity. I think is is generally a benefit because mm. you're you're correct in saying it shows us exactly how much we're paying. Right. Um, and I, I feel like there's a general impression around a lot of consumers that the complexities around plans were designed to create a situation in which they would be gouged. But for some, it added the flexibility to, um, to to get what they needed, to only pay for what they needed, for example. So uh, the, the, the text limit that I had uh, was insignificant to me because uh, all of my communications were going through data. Mm-hmm. The, the lack of Canadian-wide calling other than evenings and weekends was fine because uh, during the day, I'm at my desk and I use uh, Roger's one number to make any calls. Right. Um, so you know, I the what I was paying for the most was for the data, which is what I was heavily using, and everything else was kind of metered to my personal expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I generally feel that if you're going to create a plan and have your customers uh, sign a contract to it, which I can't I can't get out of, I can't renegotiate or change. And that 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 plan has to last the length of the contract, or at the time of signing, say this is promotional only. This is only going to be for a year or so. Okay, so to that um, to that point, that's totally fair. The increase uh, of five dollars for those customers is only for those who are no longer on contract. So they're not going to start charging you five dollars per month more unless you are no longer within that three years and you're on a month-to-month contract. They can. Uh, I, I looked into this. They can actually charge customers who are in a contract more. They just need their permission, so they need you to sign something or agree to something or uh, basically check a box on their on a web form that says uh, we are we now need to charge you five dollars more. Uh, the 
understanding though is that they can't do that without your permission and that would actually once you do agree to that you are now under the auspices of the wireless code of conduct so what's interesting is that any change to your current contract means that you are automatically part of that wireless code which means that you now have to be able to pay off your phone's balance in 24 months it means that you are now limited to fifty dollars a month in roaming overages it means that all those benefits that we as three your customers still don't have today if you do choose to pay five dollars more per month on your data plan you are now automatically subscribed to that so I mean that is sort of a benefit it's not a great benefit because no, the it's not, so yeah so to, to receive like our legally allowed benefits. We're gonna to have to pay Rogers an additional five dollars a month. We're gonna we're gonna pay them for government mandated benefits. Y yes, but that's only until your contract expires, which you did pay for, and then the contract would have to be re-upped, and then you decide what you want to do. So you know, at the end of your contract, you could choose to go to Wind and say lose half of your data speeds and half or you know ninety five percent of your coverage. If you yeah. want, you know, and that, that's that's the argument here is that Rogers is saying we charge you based on the value you get, and that's kind of I mean it's kind of true. Rogers, Bell, Telus give you far better coverage than even T-Mobile down in the states, and I've yeah. been to the states a lot, and I've gone onto those prepaid LTE plans, and you know AT&T, T-Mobile is they're terrible in in big cities, so I. I sort of sympathize on you know with the side of the carriers because in Toronto I never have coverage issues I never have speed issues but on the other hand I'm not on one of those share everything plans yet I'm a Rogers customer you're a Rogers customer I think it's going to be very different when I do have to resign a contract and I go what the hell where do I go where I want to spend less than a hundred dollars on a six gig plan I mean that's just not possible yeah, and I think so. Let's you know we're, we've been in the weeds with the kind of the specifics, but I you know, and we've written about this before in terms of you know where is uh, Canada Canada's uncarrier uh, Canada, but I, I'm just wondering just at a high level, what is your expectation from a Canadian carrier or, or being a Canadian? What would your expectation be for a carrier in Canada to provide a certain level of acceptable service? Because I feel like you know one of the biggest issues Rogers has is obviously churn. And I don't think that, that they, they don't understand the connection between the way that they treat their customers mm -hmm. and the expectation with the, the desire to flee them or to, to immediately look and see what your other option is. And, you know, maybe their, their counter-argument is, as you said, when you get off your contract, where, where are you going to go or, or what are you willing to sacrifice to get off of it? Mm -hmm. But why, why, does that ha why does that attitude have to be commonplace? Well, that's what I... You know, that's that's the impossible question, right? There is nowhere else to go. You flee Rogers to Bell or Telus. Most people will never go to Wind. Wind is only available in the big cities and only a few of the big cities. They have very mediocre coverage. And from a from a you know a future perspective, Wind has no new spectrum. They have no options. They they can't repurpose their current spectrum for LTE because then they would lose the capabilities of their current devices. They literally have no options. So mm -hmm. I don't want to be in that situation. I mean, Mobilicity is dead in the water. Public Mobile is now owned by TELUS. The only other option in Canada is wind unless, tel unless uh, Videotron decides to expand into Ontario and, and British Columbia 
and uh, Alberta where they bought some spectrum during the 700 megahertz auction. But even then, they're not required to deploy any uh, any actual service in those areas for about 10 years. So they can sit and wait until they buy their time and they can sell off the spectrum to Rogers, you know, if the government allows it. So I agree with you. It sucks that we have to pay a lot of money, but at the same time, I'm, a, I'm, I'm of the opinion that the money is well spent. We use our phones all the time, and the carriers in Canada do provide decent service. So it's a matter of, okay, if Rogers has higher churn, what is TELUS or Bell going to give you that Rogers doesn't? Nothing. They're going to give you the exact same coverage with the exact same speeds, with the exact same price, and I mean the exact same price. Like, yeah. there's, no, there's no difference. I mean, it's basically like going from Shell to Petro-Canada, and you're seeing the same price every day. And you wonder what the hell's going on. There's no competition in the oil industry. Doesn't seem like there's much competition in the telco industry. And yet we hear that all the time that people are in fact uh, that that the the telcos are in fact under heavy competition. But they seem only to be competing in terms of phone prices. So they'll draw down the price of the of the phones to zero dollars because people like buying zero dollar phones, not understanding that you're spending 125 dollars per month on Saving a hundred bucks on a phone. Yeah, and so, I feel like part of that part of that uh, customer competition is just based upon exasperation, where it's not you know they're leaving one carrier for another because they're of ex and of exciting you offer superior service. They've just become so exasperated with the service that they have that they will no longer be willing to pay that carrier money. Yeah. But I, you're entirely right. You can choose the red carrier, you can choose the blue carrier, or you can choose the green carrier, and that's pretty much the only differentiation. And just to do the one final point, because this is a really depressing way to start a podcasting series, to complain about uh, uh, Canadian carriers, but entirely apt, is that for all the talk about the, the wonderful you know, network that Rogers provides, you still can't go between Ottawa and Toronto, the nation's capital, and the capital city of Ontario, without completely losing coverage halfway through. That's true. So, That's true. I, I don't, you know... And that's on the 401. I mean, we're not for <laughs> yes. the 417 or whatever the highway is. But like, if you're going in the you know in the trenches of uh, well trenches. I mean, if you're if you're going through the winding roads of British Columbia, you're also unlikely to see uh, much coverage there. Which Look brings at the us. Roads. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say I was on the uh, the old Trans Canada Highway uh, earlier this month, and I had nothing. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, fair enough. But that's because. There are seven actual residents in those air in those hills, and Rogers doesn't want to put up a tower there. Uh, but what we do know is that Rogers is putting a lot of money into British Columbia. We have uh, a mandate uh, that they said that they're going to be investing some 450 million dollars in the next few years in British Columbia. Now, um, is that uh, you know these? We seem to be getting a lot of these press releases, so we get. Press releases every few weeks from from Bell and Telus and Rogers telling us, oh yeah, well you know we're putting in putting in a lot of money in in this province. So um, right now it says Rogers is uh, is investing uh, two hundred four hundred fifty million dollars in the next three years in British Columbia um, as part of the uh, rollout of the seven hundred megahertz spectrum to allow customers to access internet in even more places, including buildings, basements, elevators, whatever. So okay, great. That's that's phenomenal but um, we we seem to be in this in in this kind of wave of, of press releases about all this money all this capital uh, expenditure that Rogers is or Bell and Telus are putting into different provinces and yet 
you know, people complain, that in the, if you go into the comments in that article, people complain that Rogers doesn't put any, any coverage in places like Saskatchewan, um, or, you know, obviously, you know, people want big carriers in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, places like that, but then there are those regional carriers like MTS and Sasktel that uh, they, have a, they have agreements with, so Rogers will agree to share a network with Sasktel in Saskatchewan so that they don't actually have to deploy their own towers. So yeah. in this case, that's actually, this is actually Rogers deploying real Rogers coverage in areas like Vancouver, Surrey, Victoria, Nanaimo, Port Albert, Courtney, uh, Kamloops, Kelowna, Vernon, um, and soon in other places as well. So I mean, this is this is good news. You're going to get better coverage in more places with better speed and more phones. Blah blah blah. Yeah. But is this enough? I mean, does that justify the price increases? I, I don't know. Well, so it, it'd be interesting to see um, what beyond the the poor Saskatchewan uh, readers of Mobile Syrup complaining that they're not getting uh, what they want. What the what the BCD uh, reader comments were if they're excited. Um, uh, for me, I think that the, all the, the press releases are essentially just a public paper trail for them to point back to, you know, the myriad investments that they put in their infrastructure when it comes time to uh, speak to the government about spectrum auctions and things like that, or fight, you know, competition issues. Uh, but, you know, I guess the interesting thing is, do you, and this might be uh, a regional perspective, a provincial perspective, but do you feel that... Uh, Ontarians are happy to subsidize the network developments of people in BC. Oh, I don't think that's I don't think that's relevant. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but we don't subsidize the developments in BC. We uh, we also get tons of deployments up in, in Ontario. I mean, if you look at Rogers is an East Coast company, and that's really what it comes down to is that they they've really trailed Telus in the West Coast, and this is just them kind of trying to compete with. The, with, with Telus, because Telus and Bell share a network in the in the West and in the East. So what happens is uh, Telus builds out in the West, and Bell piggybacks on their on their deployments and vice versa. Rogers is really alone, so they have to, they have no choice if they want to increase coverage in in BC and in uh, in the prairies and in Alberta. They have no choice; they have to uh, put up towers themselves. So yes, I mean as few. As, as, as seldom as I visit BC, I would prefer to be able to use my Rogers phone in Kamloops, you know, when I'm boiling in the middle of, or is that Kelowna? I, I don't, I, I'm terrible with, with Canadian geography. I feel, I've been to... to Kamloops and Kelowna. Yes, if you're, if you're watching in Kamloops or Kelowna, I'm sorry for butchering your geography. Um, all right, so let's, let's move on, because I think that we've talked about Rogers enough. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk about hardware. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about BlackBerry, because, you know, what what is going on with BlackBerry these days? Shout uh, they, out to 2010. Yeah, shout out to no 2011. Let's let's not uh, put it. Uh, let's, not, let's not date it too much. Um, the bold 9900 people. This is Rogers probably most or BlackBerry's most successful product uh, of the last few years. The bold 9900 is coming back now. This was John Chen's. Uh, it, it was his. Um, Apology, I guess, to customers who demanded the trackpad back. They love their keyboard, but they don't love BB10. They want that trackpad. They want to be able to select text quickly and uh, copy-paste and do all their document editing uh, without having to swipe and gesture and peek and hub and 
all that stuff that BB10 is so good at. Now, 399. Now that's the issue, and most people got a little bit uh, up in arms about this. How dare they charge $400 for a four-year-old phone? Yes. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I should probably first say that, just out of disclosure, that I, I was working for BlackBerry from 2009 to 2011, and the, the 9900 was one of the last uh, launches I participated in, so I have memories of it. I wouldn't say necessarily fond memories, but uh, I would say, so just taking a step back to the price, which is its own conversation, just going back to you, it's, it's very interesting. I think the actual re-release of this device is generally considered a smart move because Chen needs revenue wherever he can get it. And the one contingent of people that are interested in still purchasing uh, BlackBerry smartphones are the, are the people that want it for uh, the hardware. They didn't, they didn't necessarily want the modified UI that BB10 was offering. Uh, they mm -hmm. didn't want a, a full-touch experience. They just wanted uh, a new BlackBerry that had better battery life and the OS didn't crash and could probably run some apps. Mm -hmm. um, BB10 was supposed to go you know, beyond that dedicated core um, user and then obviously we've seen that that hasn't been successful. So, so bringing back the device that um, many long-time BlackBerry users from a, from a business perspective are either still using or, or desperately trying to hold on to, I, I think is smart. Uh, in terms of the, the pricing, I don't even understand how how one tries to factor in the the value of uh, a device that's three or four years old. Obviously, it works. It's mm -hmm. it's probably the best BlackBerry Seven device ever released. It was probably the best BlackBerry device they had. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's running at that time what was considered a, a legacy OS with a with a variety of issues, um, and is now you know three years longer in the tooth. Mm -hmm. So um, understanding that, you know, ramping, ramping up the manufacturing on this old device might, you know, mess with the margins more than some of the newer devices, say that they're getting from uh, Foxconn where the components are just cheaper due to scale. Mm -hmm. I don't know, how do, you, how do you go to someone and, and ask them for, like, what, what, as a buyer, what are you paying for? Is the keyboard really worth that much? Is it, well, is it that difficult to find a refurbished 9900 that you can get for maybe $50 on eBay? Okay, so I totally understand that. I mean, yes, you could probably get a BlackBerry 9900 on eBay for 100 bucks. Um, what's interesting, though, is that these, are, these devices are probably not being sold in single numbers to consumers like you and me. They're probably going to companies who are like, no, I don't want to have to use my Z10 and the Z30 and the uh, Q10 is too expensive on on mass so you know let's buy a bunch of these unlocked BlackBerry 10s at um, enterprise rates so you're probably not paying $399 for them they're probably paying like $250 for them and uh, then you know let's deploy them to everybody in our in our business like like we did before or they're they're probably coming back as a way to replace old devices that have been smashed and broken yes. Um, but okay, so one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Let's. I mean, obviously, there is. There's not a huge 
um, there's not a huge gain for BlackBerry to bring back an old device, especially when they're trying to market their BB10 devices. I mean, you know, I have I have a Z30, and it's not a bad little phone or a bad huge phone. I mean, it's really quite a quite a nice product. Um, it's not a spec monster like uh, a lot of the Android and new Android devices are, but at the same time, you know, you look at that phone and you say, okay, that's a fairly modern phone. Yes. There's, but nobody uses it. Nobody gives a damn because they're not made yes. for apps and nobody is developing apps for BlackBerry 10. So well, it's a it's a phone that's that was designed for a customer that BlackBerry couldn't maintain and is no longer seeking. Right. So for Chen to release an old device that he knows will at least sell through to a certain extent for, you know, enterprises currently on say Bez 10 or even some Bez 10 Bez 5 looking to go to uh, Bez 12, mm-hmm. you know, it's for him, it's revenue. They have to stop bleeding millions of millions of dollars each quarter. And if, right. if he can get some revenue back just by putting this through while his company is working on, because it's, it's obvious that he completely changed the product portfolio when he mm-hmm. came in. Um, and that that's very difficult to do, and it takes time. Um, so if he has the ability to sell something that will, that it will be cheap to produce, there's a guaranteed expectation of a certain amount of revenue coming in, and it, it makes it easier for people to um, either stay with Bez or look forward to Bez 12. Uh, then it's worth worthwhile. But um, you know, I, the the Z30 is very much an example of a company that BlackBerry no longer is. So, what's interesting about BlackBerry and and what in, what's so interesting about Chen is that he's so matter of fact about everything. Yeah. I mean, he said right up front, if we can't make money from hardware, we're not going to be in the hardware business. Yeah. He needs, and he says it in the first person too. He says, if I can't make money from hardware, he takes yeah. ownership over this company as a CEO should. I mean, that's really what what was tr- what was plaguing the Thorsten Hines era BlackBerry is that he never really took accountability for the mistakes that he made. And whereas, look, he didn't really have a choice. BB10 was long in the making before yes. Thorsten came along. Um, but you know, at least the at least the Chen era BlackBerry is not only leaner, but it's. It, it, it's conciliatory. It, it it wants to admit that there have been mistakes and many mistakes. And you know this Endstream deal that the company signed this week is another example of a great move out of hardware. They're not making any hardware money. They're not making money on apps. They have no ecosystem to speak of. Most people sideload Android apps to. Or even you wrote about how the Score, one of the main Canadian companies yes. who were, you know, still making native BlackBerry 10 apps, decided to port their Android app to BlackBerry 10 because it was more usable and it was easier to maintain and ultimately cheaper. So, yes, but so to but to to the point here, I think we have to say that that's that's you know that's that's disparaging BlackBerry for a lack of native apps has has been a been a long term thing. But I think the big switch with, with Chen and, and with the team that he's brought in, which are external people, so it serves them strategically to create a, a clear break, admit that some things have been done wrong, and, and look to what they're going to change, um, is that the, the lack of native apps is kind of almost now a strategy. They're not looking to build a native app ecosystem. They are not a consumer hardware company, or they're not straddling the line between consumer and enterprise. They're an enterprise services company. 
if if uh, a BlackBerry 10 device has the ability to sideload the app that you want, that's fine because they're not selling at the device level. They're 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 looking to make their money off of services. Um, right. So you know, in writing and and I I really feel with the moves that they've made, where they've um, they've merged Dev Relations uh, under the Alliances division. Mm-hmm. You now have the the former uh, VP of DevRel uh, working on Internet of Things projects at Cunix. Mm-hmm. The you know that that message has been broadcast to you know any any uh, smart first party BlackBerry developers or companies like the Score who um, had supported BlackBerry in the past. They see the writing on the wall. It's you know it's it's okay to just have an Android point port of mm-hmm. your app at this point. Because it's not, you know, if, if the app's in the portfolio, BlackBerry at this point doesn't care because they're looking at uh, enterprise services. So things, you know, they're, they're more focused on uh, things like BBM protected than making sure that, you know, Instagram is on their platform. How but just walk through, walk through the, uh, walk through the, uh, the end stream announcement because I think, it, you know, we can, we can dig further into how this relates to their new uh, positioning. Endstream is an interesting company because it's a combination of Rogers, Bell, and Telus, and it focuses on mobile uh, payments. So what they do is they build infrastructure, a single point of entry, where a an NFC-based payment system can be used by both developers and by banks. So I want to put my credit card on my Android phone or my BlackBerry 10 phone and I want to um, I, I want to pay for it in a store like Shoppers Drug Mart or The Gap or whatever retailer supports uh, tapless um, or uh, tap terminals. And most of them do today because the infrastructure in Canada is far beyond any other country in terms of uh, yes. in terms of touchless uh, payments. Yes, um, you're looking at BlackBerry providing the infrastructure so that when your payment credentials are going over the air from your phone which are your payment credentials are stored in a secure element on your sim card which is completely safe even if somebody takes your sim card and puts it in their phone the sim card associates with your particular phone when you open an app say your CIBC payment app you have to then enter a pin code so not only should you have a pin code on your phone itself you open that, you open the app, you enter the pin code for the app, you touch it to the payment terminal, gives you 20 seconds worth of payment um, ability, and then it goes back to needing a, a pin code. That is then streamed over the internet, over whatever phone lines or DSL or cable the Shoppers Drug Mart or Gap has, and BlackBerry is now providing that backend infrastructure. So just like everything that goes over the BlackBerry inter- um, internet services network, is yeah. encrypted, or not everything, but a lot of stuff is yes. encrypted. Uh, this is also going to be similarly uh, encrypted, and it means that people don't have to worry that their stuff is going to be intercepted by hackers between your phone, the Gap, and yeah. uh, RBC or TD Canada Trust. So, and, and I think these are the types of announcements we're going to expect from BlackBerry going forward because it makes it leverages their 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 infrastructure. It leverages their background with security. Um, mm-hmm. It leverages the operating system that they have, which could probably be pretty uh, close to the metal in, 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 in fueling this. And it's, it, it puts them uh, in a position to be the connector of, 
a business infrastructure, which right. is, is is much a much better margin for them long term than device hardware. Right. Um, I mean, enterprise will make money. I mean, we've we've although HP is sort of bleeding, and IBM is also sort of bleeding. But I mean, there are I don't know a lot about the enterprise um, ecosystem, but I do know that BlackBerry has always been seen as an enterprise company, even when the Curve 8100 was, was that the 8100 or is that the Pearl? Anyway. Um, the, yeah, it was the Pearl was the 81 and the Curve was the, I want to say the 82? Or the or 83. 83, there you go. Back then when BlackBerry was huge with, custom, with, with uh, consumers, it was still only BBM. That was and, and the keyboard that was really keeping that margin afloat, and I think now people understand that BlackBerry has always been sort of an enterprise company, and they do that they do that best. Yes. So Chen is just acknowledging that the infrastructure uh, is there, and they're just not they're not taking advantage of it. The, the traffic on the on BlackBerry um, Internet Services Network is probably down by like ninety five percent over the last three years. They have to use that. It's like Rogers not taking advantage of that old HSPA network. Once they go up to Volt EE and they take and they offload all their voice calls uh, to LTE, they have this huge swath of 3G. What are they going to do with it? They're going to use it the Internet of Things. They're going to they're going to use it for light posts and, and and traffic lights and stuff like that. Low level network communications, yeah. And it, you know, so this is this is BlackBerry going back to dance with the one who brung them, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it, it also keeps the company alive for them to make bigger long-term plays in IoT and greater connected services. Because I think you're right. BlackBerry was always best at being an enterprise company, even when it was trying to be a consumer company. And I think you know Chen, with that external perspective, and and no, I guess I guess no real ego in terms of what the company was or what it what it um, what is trying to be, only what it what it can reasonably can be in the moment and and you know what what's best for it is just saying you know this is you know I'm gonna make firm changes I, I think they're very well served by having him at the helm of the company but we should probably move on simply because you know we started railing against Rogers and now we're talking Blackberry so the the listeners must be just dying right now let's let's hit let's hit them with some uh, is there is there a new phone we want to talk about or something something sexy let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about this this sexy phone. Uh, it's not actually that sexy. No, it's but, uh, but it's, sexy, it's sexy from from a price perspective. And yeah, I, I think that you know when we're when we're talking about something like the Bold 9900, which is a three-year-old phone coming back to the market for 400, the contrast here is that Motorola is putting out these amazing phones for 200, dollars exactly. and they're running the latest version of Android. They're capable. And they really speak to the future of what Android will be as an ecosystem. So, you know, it's going to be con it, 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 whereas Samsung and LG and HTC will continue offering these high-end devices for seven, eight hundred bucks. You're still you're now going to be able to buy really good Android hardware for one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars, competing with Windows phones. So Apple is out of this in out of this uh, market completely. They have no low-end devices. Even the the 4S is still a four hundred and fifty dollar phone. They've, they've tried. Right. They've tried, but I think they realized that their customer would probably uh, just buy last year's model at uh, a reduced price than, you know, uh, a new version of uh, a lower end phone when the price difference isn't significant enough. Yeah, I mean that's a whole other argument because Apple doesn't really want to get into the low end phone business. 
their margins are such that you know, they make all their money from hardware. Um, they don't need to go into the vault, even though they sell m millions of phones, they don't need to go into that uh, volume uh, churn yeah. type of uh, problem. Uh, whereas Motorola, they acknowledge that they're really not competing in the high end anymore, and they're just yeah. going to try to make money in developing markets using volume. So they're accept they're, they want to sell 50 million, like yeah. Nokia, they want to sell 50 million $100 phones rather than 5 million $1,000 phones. Or yeah, and it's also something that they do really, really well, right? Like, uh, I think, you know, prior to their their acquisition, their strategy was in, like, super high-end customization and then really quality, uh, low-end performance phones. And I think, you know, I think it's it's part of, you see these co companies being successful in the mobile space, the, the ones that do are the ones that actually have an identity and can mm -hmm. provide some sort of differentiation that, that really works in the market rather than um, at a brand or marketing level trying to position themselves as uh, the Gary Oldman phone or the Robert Downey Jr. phone, you know? It's something that AT, you know, uh, we might know what an HTC phone represents, but the average consumer doesn't. And right. it, it doesn't. It doesn't really hit the market with the differentiation. So, you know, they have to try and spend the money to get awareness. Whereas I think Samsung, Apple, Motorola, uh, Nokia is trying, but it's not. Well, Nokia is now Microsoft, so we'll see yeah. what happens with that. But what's so interesting about Motorola is that I think they realize that there's no way they're going to compete with Samsung in the high end. The Moto X was not a high end phone even when it came out, and they quickly dropped the price to like 300 bucks outright and yep. zero dollars on a three year contract or two year contract. And with the Moto G, that was really its play into the low end, into, into the Android entry level uh, ecosystem. And what's what's so interesting about the Moto G is that it doesn't do anything badly. It's still a really good phone, even though it costs $200. And this phone, the one that's uh, coming out next week on Rogers and, and Fido, is the Moto G LTE. And this is an interesting play, because what it does is it makes up for two of the major, uh, major omissions from the original Moto G, and that's a micro SD slot and LTE connectivity. So we're looking at the same device, 720p display, uh, quad-core processor, one gig of RAM. This has eight gigs of internal storage. It has a five megapixel camera on the back, but it now has LTE. So it means that it can compete in the high end with yeah. devices twice the cost. And people don't care about specs because this phone does everything properly. And LTE is probably the last of those kind of table stakes features where you know, um, I think, you know, for any mobile syrup reader or listener of this podcast, you know, I couldn't in good conscience buy a non-LTE phone No. in this anymore. day and age. So ha having that, I think, you know, opens them up to maybe smart buyers who are, don't see anything on the market that they really like right now in terms of, uh, you know, as these smartphones get more and more commoditized, the difference between, you know, the, the iPhone 4s to the 5 to the to the 5s is 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 very low. That they could they could go with just a really durable, reliable, uh, cheaper uh, Motorola phone and mm -hmm. still still get what they need out of it. Um, and what's and not worry about breaking a screen or losing it, and then being out you know a $600 investment for moderate improvements over previous models. Right. And what's what's so funny about that actually, and it's good you mentioned that is I've had a lot of friends who buy iPhones and get uh, and they spend 100 200 bucks on them and they think these are $200 phones and then they break the screen and they go into the Apple store and they're like 
uh, actually, you have to spend $225 to replace the screen. Mm-hmm. And people are like, but my phone costs less than that. And, and I'm like, no, it didn't. It's yeah. Rogers, Bell, or Telus subsidizing you on a two-year contract. And when you, when you screw up your phone, they're not going to come unless you're spending nine, ten bucks a month on their ridiculous insurance policies. Yes. They're not going to help you, and they're not going to come to your aid. And Apple does have a pretty good system where if, if it, your phone is under warranty, they'll replace it with no cost. But at the same time, if you drop your phone in the toilet, Apple's not going to forgive you, and they're going to charge you as much as it costs them to replace a screen. Yeah, so water water damage is like the uh, the third rail of uh, electronics issues, right? Yes. Um, but I, you know, and I that goes back to even just kind of what we were saying about uh, just the carrier stuff. It, the consumer, I guess, understanding of how these things work that they don't understand that they're paying for a six hundred dollar phone over two years rather mm-hmm. than paying two hundred dollars for a phone and then having to sign up for a contract. I think. A, relates to the ability of these companies to kind of not necessarily manipulate, but to have to constantly be thrown up against this, the, the expectation of where the business is and where the consumer is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's partially our fault. I mean, mobile syrup is probably the best place for people to come and learn what that's all about. And I think a lot of our readers understand that. And, uh, you know, we have a, we attract the hardcore, you know, phone user. And I, I think that um, they, you know, anybody listening to this podcast probably understands that when you're buying a $200 phone on contract, it's actually not a $200 phone. But mm-hmm. the Canadian market now, because phones are more expensive up front, because of the transition from two years, from three years to two years, people are less willing to spend a lot of money on a phone because yeah. they're just overall cheaper when you buy them outright. So you can buy a Nexus 5 for 350 bucks, and now you can buy this Moto G for 250 bucks unlocked in a store and it'll work on any carrier in Canada, and the Moto E is the same. It's going to cost 180 bucks when it comes out later this month, and people don't need to spend five, 600 bucks outright on a phone anymore. I mean, they can, and Apple allows you to spend $900 on a 64-gig iPhone 5S app unlocked, but that's how much it costs. I mean, if you buy a Samsung Galaxy S5 from Rogers unlocked, it's $750. Any major release, you know, any flagship device is going to be seven to 800 bucks. So these phones are picking up that slack, and you're not getting that much of a different experience. So um, Motorola is on a, on a roll here, and it'll be very interesting to see what Lenovo does with them, because I don't think Lenovo screwed up IBM's ThinkPad uh, brand at all. I think they actually improved upon it. So we'll see what happens when Google finally goes through with, the, with its sale of mm-hmm. Motorola mobility to uh, Lenovo. Uh, so, uh, I guess you know I don't want to I don't want to hang out here too much longer because people have somewhere to go. But uh, what do you think of um, you know we're, we're talking about Android as a as a platform as an ecosystem. Um, Rogers, sorry, Motorola releases these phones mm-hmm. unlocked with stock Android. Now, what is stock Android? Stock Android is basically the unfettered version of Android that Google releases. Uh, with their new with their new versions, and it it takes carry or it takes OEMs uh, manipulating them and adding features that nobody needs for people to say, okay, well this is a Galaxy and this is a One and this is a thing. But Motorola doesn't do that. So what is your what is your opinion on stock Android? Do you think that it needs an overhaul? Well, 
I guess you could I, one another way you could de describe it would be as a as a as a framework, a recommended framework right. of an OS. Um, but I, I I think stepping back from that and just in in describing that difference between the this stock experience and uh, what Android users actually deal with, either in uh, a different OEM version or just the, the the problems with upgrading to future versions. So you know mm -hmm. the typical Android, the typical iOS user is very identifiable by their phone, but their OS experience is probably relatively similar unless they're at the very bottom end of what the current OS supports. Right. I don't know who the what the general Android experience is, and I'm not sure there is one. So I even you know. The bigger question is, what is Android? <laughs> like, what is Android? How does it fit into uh, Google's goals? I know we have a we have a tete-a-tete -tete article coming up probably before this podcast runs, where we're we're looking at the the kind of the new design doctrine for Android as well as uh, a bunch of other platforms that was just uh, kind of revealed. Hopefully, we'll see more at Google I/O. But I, I really feel that. Google's bigger play is is not to create a, a perfect mobile phone OS, but to define how all of the potential users across the internet, and I just, I just by that I mean digitally connected people, whether it's tablet, phone, desktop, anything, mm -hmm. engage with the internet because they make their money off of the the data that comes in and out of the internet. Right. And that's so interesting, is that Google's incentive to make Android attractive, or quote-unquote attractive, is only so far as it gets to sell its free services to consumers. And they have just as much incentive to sell those free services on iOS and the web and the mobile web as they do on Android itself. Because they don't make money on Android, they make money on making its attractive on its services attractive on Android. But uh, as we've heard previously, Android doesn't really make Google that much money yet. It makes more money on iOS through search and through its yes. various services than Android. So we'll leave it there because I think that uh, the tete-a-tete -tete will go into detail and I think uh, a lot of what's going to be revealed at I.O. this year will be very interesting from Google's platform future because Android is sort of being... It's being subsumed by this idea of 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 Androidness. You know, there's no one Android anymore. There's no just you're not gonna download Android 4.4 the way that you used to. Android is gonna be on smartphones, it's gonna be on televisions. Google's been rumored to release a new version of, of Google TV called Android TV. It's gonna be based yeah. on Android, but it won't it'll be very similar to sort of Xbox Live and, and Apple yeah, TV and, in that sense. You know, Chrome Chrome OS and Android at some point are gonna intersect more completely than is even being discussed right now, and and I, I think the last thing that we can leave with them with, and we discussed this in the TED TED, is you know, Apple really only cares about what happens on its devices and through its devices. So you see all the announcements at WWDC. So uh, with iOS 7, they made it they made it pretty, they made it flat, and now they're adding all these services. Mm -hmm. But they're not really, for the most part, new cloud services from Apple. They're, they're more connecting their devices and, and being a remote control for other people's services to, to right. make the device, the, uh, the Apple device that they make, um, which they sell at high margins, the primary conduit for engagement. Yeah. Google, at the high level, thinks about data. 
It doesn't care what device that you're on. So if, if it can, instead of making um, Android pretty, make uh, digital engagement uniform, which could increase engagement, which in, could increase the amount of data that's being given, increase activity both in uh, established Western markets and emerging markets, over the long term, that will increase their revenue more than, say, like they, they'll, they won't care about what Samsung's doing with their stupid skins, right? Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that because Google's got bigger fish to fry. You know, Samsung wants to sell devices the same way as Apple, and that's why it puts this half-hearted effort into making services that compete with Google because they just don't want to rely on Google, not because they think that they can do it better, but because their reliance on Google has been heretofore uh, all-encompassing, and they need to get they they need to lower their reliance. So that's what Tizen is or Tizen. That's what these partnerships with other manufacturers are, or uh, other uh, services. Um, it's, it's a whole other story, but Google is just focusing on you using Google services, and, and I think that's, that's what's so interesting, and, and we'll see what happens at I.O. So I think we're going to stop there, because we went about uh, 45 minutes over what we thought we would. This is um, our first podcast. We can't, we can't go too crazy on the first one. No. So what we're do, what we're gonna do is we're going to open this up to you. We're gonna leave uh, leave some some room for you guys to uh, give us some feedback. If you think this was a bit too rambly, a little bit too uh, disorganized, I think uh, we're gonna tighten this up over the course of uh, of the next few episodes. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you for being a part of the first Syracast. Uh, this uh, is an honor for me. I finally this this has been something that I've wanted to do with you, Doug for like three years. This is even before oh, you were, this, seriously, this is even before you were a part of Mobile Syrup. I was right. like, I was like, I think Doug and I would make a good partnership on the podcast. So on behalf of uh, everybody um, at Mobile Syrup, thank you so much for listening and uh, we will, we will see you next time. Cheers. All right. Bye guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.